And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, host of today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, um, digital entrepreneurship, mindset growth, you name it. Uh, founder of Marknology. And today I'm excited about our guest because specifically we're going to be talking about controlling the growth of your company. And as you guys know, like Marknology being in the spot um, where we're helping brands on Amazon and, and a lot of the fun and craze around um, aggregators, buying brands, growing them fast, exiting. Um, it's just a fun time. And I think uh, it coming to the service side of e-commerce and what we're doing. And I think even um, today's guests can can jump in on some of that from even a different angle, which I think is going to be really cool. So before I bring them to you, I would love to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's episode. Um, Gusto has modern solutions for modern HR problems, whether it's talent management, payroll, or onboarding tools. Gusto's HR platform has it all for you. Be smarter than your competitors. Try a three-month free subscription now. Just sign up at gusto.com backslash startup hustle to get started. That's gusto.com backslash startup hustle. I've been using Gusto for two, maybe three years now, um, and honestly can't remember life without it. So without further ado, uh, shout out to our guest, Dave. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me. Of course. Sorry, that's a mouthful for me, getting <laughs> some of that out there. Um, we were talking a little bit before the show, and I, I think uh, my head was getting ahead of my mouth a little bit. Just excited to uh, excited to have you on the show and um, bring some value to our guest today. Look, I, I, I love um, these conversations, uh, you know, it, it, to talk to other folks who kind of share the same challenges, potential successes, kind of think about the world from a growth perspective. Um, uh, it, it, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Before we jump into some of the fun, you're in Austin, you've got some rain and sleet going on. This is a fact. Uh, so we, my family moved to Austin from 20 years plus in, in California and uh, I think we discounted what weather was like. We'd heard quite a bit about, you know, the heat in the summer. And I've, my sister's family lives here and we've heard all about 107 degrees for 30 days straight. I didn't know that it got cold here. And, mm -hmm. and that was a bit shocking. And last year we moved in just in time for the big, you know, uh, snowstorm, which was super fun. And, um, and, little fact is different cities can handle weather differently. This doesn't seem that rough. I, I lived in LA for a long time, but I also grew up in Chicago and yeah, there we go. You know, big snowstorms didn't stop us and here um, schools closed for two days because you know, it's a little wet out. So. Yeah, I know. I was there for that snow pagos. We were laughing about it kind of before I have a Jeep. So the roads were like, it, you know, I crossed over into Oklahoma on day three because I didn't have water or food and was out of cash, honestly, like my three <laughs> days in Austin, because I was just like, the, just the circumstances led to like ATMs don't work. And I only brought so much cash and like, you know, 
those kinds of things. So I was just like, screw it. I'm going to drive like 30 miles an hour and go to Oklahoma. And, uh, and as soon as you cross over into Oklahoma, it's like they treat, you know, snow completely different. They got trucks, you know, salt on the road, like everything's good. So it's just a Texas thing in regards to budget and understanding how to handle that. But, um, just a fun shout out. Like, I, you know, I hope you don't get, uh, four or five days without internet, or maybe you're wishing for that. But for me, it was, um, it was a joke because I was trying to get ahead and go to Austin instead got a week behind almost. So I'm um, not wishing for, uh, a week without internet. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's like dark ages in the worlds that we live in, but, um, usually before I like I go into the company you're doing now the project you're on now and um you know bringing that to the um to our listeners I like talking about just yourself and kind of your mindset and your motivations as a young man like you know a little bit about your story if you don't mind like um we'll start with just like did you always know you're going to be an entrepreneur or a founder or did you just kind of like fall into it so uh, I definitely did not always know that, but pretty early on in, in my um, in my career, I, I I I kind of I did fall, I did recognize that. Um, so I, I graduated college with a degree in psychology and a focus on humanities and classic literature, and you know I was going to go off and save the world and worked um, for a, a social service agency in Chicago that worked with pretty needy families and kids. And, um, and I, and I, I love that. Um, at one point I started, um, working towards a PhD in clinical psychology Okay. and, um, and just fell out of love with, um, I think the path to getting kind of the degrees you needed to, to be in that field. Uh, and I had re- almost like no applicable real world business skills whatsoever. Um, and just, I had a friend that worked at a internet, um, you know, consumer internet marketing technology company in, I think this was probably 1999. Okay. And he encouraged me to send over my resume because there were a lot of, uh, you know, entry level positions and I had an opportunity to get some exposure to the business world. And, uh, sent over a resume and two weeks later started and, and, uh, I was on my path and really what happened that led me to entrepreneurship is, uh, throughout the first couple of years at this company, I ended up migrating into uh, a sales role and had the opportunity mm. to, um, you know, to engage with, you know, dozens and dozens of, of, of consumer brands or consumer based businesses. And some of those businesses were, you know, big fortune, you know, 100, you know, CPG manufacturers and retailers. And, and those sales cycles were fairly uninteresting and uninspiring to me, very linear. Um, yeah, it was all about, you know, one foot in front of the next, there was nothing, you know, disruptive happening. You know, my conversations from one month to the next all kind of looked the same. Mm-hmm. And then the the other portion of the book that I got to work on were were all these kind of emerging direct consumer brands and lead generation platforms and online marketing based businesses, and and in those companies I, I would you know I, I tell the story often is and it's fact I would I would like show up to sell you know um, you know into one of these companies and I'd be meeting with the founding t- the founders and you know maybe a twenty person office and. Um, you know, they had probably poor lighting and card tables and card folding chairs. And I would, you know, I would come back six months later and they'd be in a different office down the hall Mm. that was three times bigger. And maybe they had some real furniture this time. And I'd come back a year later and there'd be, you know, Porsches and Ferraris, you know, in all the parking spots. 
And, um, and it wasn't, you know, the, the, the wealth accumulation, but it was this idea of like, of, of like unlimited potential, limitless, you know, potential and, and growth and dynamicness. And so I just, I, over the next, you know, six or seven years that I was selling, I, I really used that as an opportunity to learn, um, you know, my way around, uh, entrepreneurial, you know, ship and, uh, engage and built relationships with all these amazing founders that were doing cool things and, and kind of learn from, you know, one step removed. And then, you know, I was just bit by that bug and, and I knew. Was I that did. Chicago? Was that LA? So the, the company was based in Chicago. Uh, it was, it was called cool savings. Uh, it was one of the kind of the first big lead generation um, okay. platforms. And, uh, and, and, I moved into sales actually in the San Francisco office. I had the uh, opportunity to, to try something different and help them open that office. And so a couple of years in, moved to San Francisco. And then a few years later, actually with the same company, moved on to LA. And what was, pretty- um, just out of curiosity, thinking about like, you know, the early 2000s, um, and I'm 35, uh, and but I was involved with computers, even in Africa, like at, at a very, very young age. Like my dad had one of the first, you know, in-home, personal computers and like help me build them and you know those kinds of things so I was always around computers and internet and I didn't have a game console but but dad had a good computer kind of thing you know um so like I still like kind of remember even like whenever we were trying to get music or games we were in like you know we were doing rare files with a hundred different files you might grab images and compile them all together and you know I was I was dabbling but what were you what were you guys selling in regards to like I know all of the stuff that's applicable today, you know, for lead gen and stuff for consumer brands, um, Amazon being a big one, even. But what were you guys what were you selling at that time? What was your conversation with these brands? That's a great question, and, and I can cover um, a, a bit there. I mean, for, first of all, it was really the the awakening of digital advertising, and and I I mean it's crazy today, but I remember having those conversations. Well, first of all, I would. I would Call into some of the bigger corporations and ask, like, is there, you know, is there someone there that handles your your internet marketing? Mm. And like, there weren't titles, there was no LinkedIn, there was no way to find this out. Um, so you would call a switchboard, and and it was always like, I think you know, Tommy or, or Betty, you know, off in the, the the dungeon or the corner in some back office, is like playing around with that that stuff. Like, um, like he or she doesn't have any budget, but yeah, you can. Yeah. I'll put you through. Um, I mean, that, that, like, that's, it, I guess it, I, I always say like, it wasn't that long ago, but I guess it was kind of a long time ago at this point. Uh, and that, that happened, that really happened. Um, and then I remember having conversations about how, you know, like, like, you know, you really should be allocating some of your traditional media budget to digital, you know, it's measurable. You could have a, a, a one-to-one relationship with your actual customers, um, and especially selling into brands that sold mainly through wholesale, um, whether mm-hmm. it's CPG or clothing and apparel, or foods, you know, products or services, um, you know, that was just unheard of, right? Um, and and it all sounded good, um, but the reality was, like, even though it was just bu- you know budding world, like that was the fact. Like, you you could use some data and and you could be targeted and you could you know advertise and control your message rather than relying on you know how the supermarket was going to promote your product right, or exactly. the window or whatnot. Um, the, the, the product that, that we were selling, it, it actually ranged and the business started out as actually a, 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 a web destination um, to, for the, uh, where we distributed print at home coupons. And, and we, we, uh, this company owned the patent on the first, 
you know, uh, UPC barcode, you know, um, print at home coupon technology. And, and that was actually something that was really appealing. You know, it was a day when mostly, you know, coupons were distributed through newspapers and FSIs and really traditional distribution methods. And this was a way to be a bit more targeted. Um, but, but it was actually, was more appealing to consumers, I think, than the brands themselves at that point. And so we built a really big audience. Like we were, you know, an early property on the web that drove lots and lots of traffic and high quality and were you know, back then mainly soccer moms that were, you know, the household shopping decision makers. And so what ended up happening is that, um, you know, we, we couldn't really you know, monetize this printed home coupon solution. But all these brands started coming to us and saying like, hey, you know, you know how to move traffic around the web. You're driving, you know, registration, engagement with all of these high value prospect consumers. Can you help us, you know, uh, build our own databases? And so that turned into, you know, a number of lead generation tools um, and, 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 you know, functionality to help brands build their own databases. And so I love you know, it. Yeah, I don't know if I could say like we invented lead generation on the, on, on the web, but we were certainly there in the very, very pioneering, you know, and I think that's where I sit too. like I, I've said that before, like there might have been 10 years ago when I was, um, you know, that's about how long I've been in the Amazon space. There's people that are 15 years, you know, 20 years is what we're talking about, you know, 2001, 99, you know, we're around 20 year mark. Um and there might have been people selling on Amazon or putting products or building a label for Amazon, but there wasn't anyone that I knew of that was doing services for others. Meaning like there could have been people doing lead gen or people like, you know, um, you know, doing internet marketing well, but were they doing that for other people? That's really where I feel like um, I feel first or at least industry leading, you know, part of that first group of pioneers, so to speak. Um, creating agencies around helping brands navigate Amazon and the marketplace and how it plugs into everything else. So I can definitely relate to that. Um, it's exciting, but it's also like you have this knowledge that you're like, no one else is necessarily on board with, uh, you know, and you're like, this is a crazy, amazing opportunity. I mean, I can remember, um, you know, as like being able, my dad was always forward with the computer. Um, he was definitely a couponer, like, you know, Best Buy rebates or micro centers or like, you know, you're always doing all these rebates and $50 back and mailing them in. And um, I can remember uh, when it went to that, we were printing off stuff for the first time, maybe instead of like getting them out of the newspaper. Sure. Uh, so it, that must have been around that time. Um, it definitely was a time where it went to like, oh, this is something we can print. I didn't even think about it being printing UPC technology, but yeah, the QR code at the beginning, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I it's funny, you know, 20 some odd years later, um, you know, in, in, you know, at, at Posty where we're talking about you know, um, leveraging modern technology, but to reach consumers through a more traditional channel, direct mail, we do get that question from time to time, which is, you know, how do you handle measurement? Can we print, you know, unique, you know, um, you know, uh, barcodes or, you know, QR codes on, pieces of mail. And, and because, you know, everything that we do is, is quantitative and measurable, you know, we spend lots of um, time and resources and energy, you know, optimizing towards the most clean methods of, of measurement. And, and at least in the U S you know, QR codes still are not a widely used um, mm -hmm. you know, form of media or engagement tool. I had thought maybe that there'd be some movement with, with restaurants and, and, and going menu lists and, the, and training, you know, diners to use QR codes to scan menus. 
or open up menus on their mobile devices, like maybe that would would um, yeah drive some um, you know familiarity and consumer behavior change. I haven't really seen it much, um, but you know I think that that probably plays into a lot of what you deal with, which is there's never any one you know one way to engage your consumer, one way to accomplish marketing goal. It it, it does have to be a sophisticated, thoughtful blend of, of many different of things. All of them. You know, and like, this is like, I love this combo because I can talk to Amazon, other Amazon agency owners or top Amazon sellers doing 500 million or whatever the case might be. Um, we can talk Amazon ads and Amazon advertising, but like when I'm talking to brands, it's really, what are all the other ways, you know, off Amazon, um, that we're pulling customers in, that we're having that complete holistic e- ecosystem with e-commerce, that we're getting those extra touches, uh, how we're standing out from our competition. You know, um, I am a huge fan of direct mail, by the way. Uh, so this is this is good. I'm in your corner. Um, <laughs> but you know, these are all the things like when a brand's coming to us and saying, "What are you doing?" and I'm pushing it back and saying, well, well, what are you doing off Amazon? Like, what, let's talk about this, bring all this together. Well, let's try some new things. You know, it can be meetup groups. Uh, like, you know, it can be direct mail. Um, I love getting mail. That's not a bill or a credit card offer or something <laughs> these days. Like truly, like if it's a handwritten letter or a postcard or something, I'm like, wow, this is incredible. Um, just the day I'm in at my age, like I don't get mail very often, you know? So if it is, it feels like it feels special. It feels cool. Same thing with people on like opening a package, you know, on Amazon, they can do the bare man minimum and just have it in a poly bag or a brown box, or it can be this experience, you know, of getting something and feeling special. Um, so yeah, you're walking my street, uh, to all of my, like, I wish all my Amazon brands or the brands I'm working with were listening today. I'll make sure they get this one, but, um, you know, huge opportunity, uh, even as whether you're an agency like myself selling my services, even with direct mail or the brands themselves that are selling um, more goods. Huge. Um, yeah, for, for sure. I mean, Amazon is a particularly unique, um, I think, uh, you know, beast in many regards. But, um, you know, we talk a lot about the you know, part of the impetus between or behind launching Posty and, and building this kind of um, you know marketing automation layer um, to make you know direct mail behave you know more modern. What it wasn't that you know our net our you know our passion stemmed from like let's reinvent direct mail. It, it really was a reaction to the walled gardens that we all rely on, search and social. And those are beasts, and um, and the data is out there. I think the last last number I heard was eighty five cents of every dollar spent in digital media go into Facebook or Google, um, and they behave like ten thousand pound gorillas as well. Um, some you know, yeah, you know, platforms behave a, a little bit more noble than others, um, and that's a real kind of bind for a brand if you're too heavily loaded on a channel that historically changes their algorithms and finds yep. ways to Amazon PPC is top of mind for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so interestingly, um, specifically with, with brands that sell on Amazon, um, we've seen this interesting, this interesting kind of uh, data point, which is, I, I would say it comes up a few times a month with clients that are new to direct mail that are engaging on the posty platform. 
we've deployed some campaigns and their initial reaction, um, you know, it, uh, most of the time is very positive, but every once in a while a brand comes up and, and starts saying, hey, the results weren't what we expected. The conversion rate wasn't um, in line with what we would have expected. The return ad spend wasn't there. And, and more times than not, when we dive in, we find out that they're a brand that is selling on marketplaces, specifically Amazon. So we have methodologies to run attribution on conversions that took place on Amazon, not just on their own website. And all of a sudden we find that the actual results were tremendous. They just have to drive um, you know, purchases on Amazon because there is some portion of consumer behavior that instead of starting on a brand site or on a Google search, starts on an Amazon search. Yep. And, um, and then Amazon happens to be quite good at, you know, at indexing their own, you know, product page results on, on Google. And trust and, and convenience and like, you know, all those things. Like, and, and I think even before Amazon's beta attribution, like, you know, became available where you can put pixels and, you know, understand where your traffic's coming from. We were trying to do things like, um, you know, Facebook ads with a, a redemption code or, um, you know, different things like that to be able to track the attribution. We knew traffic was coming from, you know, big Facebook operations or Instagram or Google, um, just being able to say, hey, how much of that is coming um, was the difficult part. Um, but there's always going to be this layer of like, people forget, um, or at least I was here for it. And I'm an Amazon advocate, you know, in that way. So it's like, it, I remember um, Amazon brought trust to e-commerce for the record, like, you know, they were the ones that said, Hey, without having to hassle with any of these websites or phone numbers or whatever, we'll give you a refund no matter what. And you're sure. going to have your package sure. in two days. We're going to make it free for you. And you know, the reviews are, uh, truthful. And, you know, even when like, you know, Forbes and New York times came out with some of it being like, we think some of this is fraudulent, you know, they cleaned millions and millions of reviews and brought in a third party. So like, they've always been consumer focused, like customer focused. Um, and because of that, to me, in a big way, they got, instead of having everyone with all these different policies and company culture, essentially in websites, they brought some uniformity and trust e-commerce, which has paved the way for a lot of other stuff, whether they're still there or not. I feel like they were the ones that brought like, I'm going to order because no matter what, I'm getting my refund if it doesn't work out, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, Amazon has, I think, um, continually impressed more than any other big tech company, uh, and, and I think you nailed it, right? Which is the difference between um, when you look at the, 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 the Titans, there, there are um, a range, right? Like, like, I think generally Google does good work. Um, obviously, we love their product and services, but they, I think they generally have a privacy first, consumer first approach. Um, they, they also know what they're doing from a monetization perspective. You, know, you look at, at Facebook, it's the complete opposite. Like Facebook's mm -hmm. not in, in the business of catering to consumers. They're, 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 yeah, you, you can liken them to drug dealers, right? Like there's no shortage of, of, of content and data that's come out to show the negative effects of um, self-esteem on, you know, teenagers or even adults and the addiction and addictive quality of. Those and are, everything about them is like connecting to other stuff, right? It's always about like, let's make this easy for you to connect to Shopify or to connect to this login or this bank or this, you know, so it's all about the data and connecting it, you know, making it easy versus yeah, like what's but, safe and good. Yeah. But it all stems from hooking, you know, hooking, you know, users into fairly addictive behaviors. You know, Amazon, I think is, is more on the Google side where, where they've been mission driven um, from what I can tell in the philosophies being it's the consumer first. We have, you know, like I think they've had some issues with how, Maybe they treat employees, but it was mm -hmm. always um, 
I think, well-intentioned to serve the consumer first. And so, you know, think about all the experiences that Amazon's rolled out that we all said, like, no way this was going to happen, right? Amazon Prime and, you know, two-day delivery. Mm-hmm. Now everything's same-day delivery or, or one-day delivery. Like, like it's insane, right? It, it, like, and, 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 yeah, I guess that's, to some extent, an addicting behavior, um, but not in, in such a bad way. It gives us time back to be with kids. Like, you know, there's a lot of... I think just like social media, like, you know, Amazon is an, it's a robot, really, when you think about it behind, that's why if there's anything like, you know, with employees or whatever, it's because it's a robot, it's a robotic machine, like with really small teams and, um, you know, in a, in a big way. Um, but it's not, it's like, you know, I think a lot of times about, well, I, it's not that I'm above getting my groceries or above this or that or whatever. I would just rather have those two hours back and give them to my dog or my mom or my grandma or anything other than being in, you know, Walmart walking around grabbing groceries. Look, for, I, that, you know, I, I get sucked into that all the time too. And, be, and being in the space, I do like, I think 30%, 30%, 30%. So I think about these brands that I like that um, if I order through Amazon, I know I'm protected through the return policies, as you said, I know I'm going to get them faster. I know I'm not going to pay for shipping or return shipping, things that are better for me. But then I do sometimes feel bad that, that those brands, if I order through Amazon, I have to pay the Amazon tax. But then I'm reminded that if they were selling through traditional wholesale, they'd, they'd probably be giving up 50% of their margin, not 30% of their margin. Uh, at the end of the day, look, I think the expectation is that, um, that you know, life's hard. There, there is very little time. Um, I think maybe you know, people who had the luxury of working from home during COVID learned that, right? You think you're working from home, you eliminate your commute, and all of a sudden you have all these hours available. You feel and, and at least for me, I look around at the end of a week and I'm like, hot, like I've literally lived in the same house and worked in the same house all day, every day. And I saw my kids, I think less than when I was had some work-life separation. So then you translate that to like, am I going to use Google to get directions before I leave the house to ensure that I don't get lost? Like, absolutely, I'm doing that. And by the way, if I can do, you know, open the app and, and know exactly how to search for the product that I need on Amazon and get it within two days, so I don't have to drive to the store or I don't have to fumble with another third-party website, like, like darn straight, I'm doing that. And and I don't think those are bad things. Um, you got to pick and choose for sure, you know? Um, you got to pick and choose, like convenience over, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just buying from Amazon. Well, there's a lot of small brands that survived the pandemic because of the efforts we did for them on Amazon, you know, sure. and them getting exposed to customers all over the US that they wouldn't have found if they hadn't been on Amazon, you know, so there's a lot of good. And I think just like social media, there can be, I follow a lot of great accounts, you know, accounts that inspire me way before I had a mentor, I was like following some, some leaders that like, you know, would speak some, um, some wisdom or some positivity in the day. And, you know, I was consuming that kind of stuff and and feeding my brain. And so, you know, there's positivity, I think, in anything, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, direct, direct mail's dead or, you know, e- emails here and, and it's coming back and it's better than ever because it's just, instead of it being overdone, just like social media can be overdone or, you know, any of these mega, mega companies, um, you know, it comes back to center kind of feels like a lot of times and really finds a sweet spot and really like the best companies that are um, producing at a high level are the ones that remain. Um, I want to talk on our topic, uh, you know, as we round out just kind of the show, we've already been talking a little bit, but I got to make sure we stay on track here. Before we do, this this show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. So thanks again to Gusto um, for showing up for us. Are you tired of long hours because of payroll? Save more time with Gusto. With its automated processes, you can file taxes and manage payroll in a matter of minutes. 
What are you waiting for? Register at gusto.com backslash startup hustle to get a free three month subscription now. That's gusto.com backslash startup hustle. I've been working hard, um, you know, since my company's uh, creation, really, to be as much in the cloud and be as remote. Um, you know, as possible and efficient as possible so that we could stay small and I, I could give more back to my people. Gusto is a is a big is a big part of that. Um, all right, Dave. So the, the title for our show is controlling the growth of your company. Um, and I know we've been talking about some other stuff. I, I honestly like I get excited getting people like you on the show because I can talk to you about anything forever. <laughs> um, but controlling the growth of your company, um, you know, in that in that in that realm, you know, Marknology is growing a lot. We've doubled the last couple of years going, um, you know, we're working with brands all day, every day that are growing, actually, like I'm, I'm rethinking how to talk to brands about their scaling problems. Um, you know, first they're there to get you to prove that you're going to help grow them. And now I need to tell them that, Hey, after I grow you, when you don't think I'm going to grow you, and then I grow you, you're going to have these problems. And so that you don't let me go as an agency owner, I need you to plan for these now. Uh, you know, whether that's the e-commerce manager they put in position because I was talking to a founder, a CEO, and now they're trying to scale and they've got somebody here two years later after we've been growing, um, that isn't up to speed, all these kinds of problems. They, they never end, you know, trying to learn, trying to position, um, Posties. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about controlling your growth. You've been way before this company. You've done a lot in the space and business. Um, what are some of the keys, like you know, food for thought, key key things that any founder um, should think about? Whether it's the the company hiring posties or hiring marknology, or it's it's our companies ourselves. What are things you need to think about, um, you know, as you're growing, so that you don't, um, you know, hit catastrophe? Well, that's a big. Big question. Um, yeah, yeah. We could do we could do a, 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 a whole. Um, I think you know weeks worth of content uh, on it. I would probably break it down into a number, uh, you know, a, f- a few buckets, and then you know start at the at the macro. Um, you know, <sighs> have you been? Let me let me be specific. Okay. I'm going to interrupt you just real quick. Let me be specific. Okay, so have you been part of a company now or in the past where or worked with one? where um growing too much like internally or whatever was a problem yes i I wouldn't say that it was a a catastrophic problem but um look i i uh i remember the launch of dollar shape club um you know that that's such yeah that was such like a textbook example of of success um and 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 then the, like the challenges that that unexpectedly fast success brings but uh i was uh, yeah this is over a decade now ago but um but i was a a partner at a tech studio that was fortunate enough to um make a seed investment and kind of nurture along mike dubin who was a first-time entrepreneur um obviously brilliant marketer in mind and very capable um, uh, individual. And, you know, he had this idea of bringing a, a really kind of fun, wry approach to launching and, and brand positioning um, his direct consumer razor company, going after a monster, you know, incumbent, you know, uh, uh, in, in the space in Gillette. And none of us expected, you know, we were all entertained by the marketing and we, and, and it was, it, it was just the beginning of social media being what it is, right? Mm-hmm. YouTube was just becoming a place where advertisers realized there was value of engaging with consumers and that, um, that it was a, a place to invest in content creation, storytelling, 
Facebook was you know, barely a, a monetizable ad platform. And, um, and, and when, you know, when Dollar Shave Club launched, which was, you know, a blend of great storytelling and, and being really thoughtful of distribution channels and whatnot, um, you know, uh, you know, it blew the roof off from a, from a customer acquisition perspective. And while there was, there was inventory available there, they weren't prepared for customer service needs. They weren't prepared for packaging and shipping needs. Um, on you know, within the, I think the first, you know, month or two, you know, we were all like, you know, literally using zebra printer printers and packaging, you know, razors um, from our from the office space, and it was like up and down every aisle, where it's like labels after labels after labels after labels. Nobody expected it. It was a so cool. problem, and there was a lot of potential, you know, risky. We could have alienated, you know, um, you know, every single customer that engaged with us, disappointed in in how long it took to ship, and um, and whether we got their product to them or, or not. Um, Mike handled it just, I think beautifully both by scaling his operations but also by um, taking a consumer first approach and very quickly figuring out how to staff up customer service um, hotlines um, ended up turning that into um, you know I think a, a story that every you know every ecom 101 business class has has you know studied now um, but that was there's danger there right um, yeah. The, you know, another example, um, you know, uh, got to be friendly with the, the founders over at Casper Mattresses. And, um, and there are some really fascinating stories that I wasn't there for, um, but the founders have, have shared with me that I believe to be true, where um, they, they were oversubscribed and, and mattress manufacturing does not happen overnight. Um, they had no, I think, just they were blown away by the expectation or by the, the initial, you know, consumer demand. And uh, and I remember this crazy story that I hope is true, which is that you know Philip over there and team um, would, uh, as an apology for being two or three weeks delayed on a mattress, would would at their own cost buy and send um, uh, you know customers who had pre-ordered um, air mattresses, uh, you know, and you you kind of laugh at that. You're like, well, someone ordered a real mattress, and I sent them an air mattress. Well, their social media blew up with positivity saying like, what an amazing company. I just got this hundred dollar air mattress because they're, you know, delayed in shipping me my mattress. And that built a ton of goodwill, which really launched that, you know, I think the the goodwill around that business and created champions and influencers that were really rooting for them. Um, you know, making lemon lemonade out of lemons. Um, but those are, those are like, unexpectedly, you know, good for the most part problems, but problems, no, you know, um, nonetheless, that can happen if you're not, um, in control of your growth. Yeah. I, I know on Amazon it's, you know, it's, it can be very practical. Um, but running out of stock is something that is bad for the customer. And so Amazon penalizes the brands for that. Um, you know, so with all the issues we've been having since the pandemic with supply chain, you know, it's now the whole nation's aware of it. I, I feel like the year of 2020 being in the world, in the space I'm in, I was just about to freak out with how fragile the logistics and supply chain was. And now the world knows about it. I'm like, cool, it's not my problem to tell everyone. They <laughs> now. But, you know, when you knew that before everyone else was, you're just like, oh, my God, if they knew what was happening right now, you know, it would, I got on um, an airplane and, and drove to um, another city to pick up car i mean so there you go. weeks trying to find and i wasn't even being that particular right i um i decided i was going to get into mountain biking this this year and it took me a couple months to find you know any one of a dozen brands version of a but of kind of a range of bike that i was looking for 
yeah, we certainly, um, everyone had the experience and, and freak out of, of, you know, going a week without toilet paper or paper towel at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, it does, you know, sometimes us as marketers, we, we take for granted the fact that, you know, product manufacturing, supply chain, logistics just kind of work. But I can tell you someone who's been involved in, you know, over 70 different direct consumer brands at this point, like that's the hard stuff. Yeah, exactly. I just had a call before this one, um, you know, a, a big brand, um, making a transition even from like a reseller where the, the, you know, a distributor was the one selling their product to go and direct themselves as a manufacturer and um, walking them through of all of the transition, like the supply chain and the warehousing, the 3PL is the one that I'm just like hammering home because I'm like, you know, if we are going to hit sales projections this year, it will be because you guys don't mess up supply chain, basically, like, you know, regardless of what ideas we come across with marketing or advertising strategies and genius, we, we deploy supply chain is at you know at the core of everything and and do most of the brands that you work with rely uh solely on on amazon fulfillment as well no okay no 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 i would say you know fba prime is a big part of it but um an advanced strategy so like any brand that's maybe got their two feet under them kind of thing. You know, they have a 3PL in place, just like website fulfillment, pick, pack, ship, where if FBA goes out of stock or a pandemic happens and only essentials can be sent in or Amazon's limiting their inventories, you know, we we can support those right away with, you know, either free shipping right from the brand or, you know, something comparable to put us in play where we're never out of stock. Um, you know, so we were, we're like wrapping up. I feel like I have so much I want to say, so we're going to have to have a part two, but uh, one last question would be like, also, um, you know, I want to round it out with this one, but one thing I'm like, I've built a lot of my brand on reputation inbound marketing. Um, I don't do a lot of outbound. So, um, it's something I've been dabbling into in the last year, simply because I want to control my growth in a different way, you know, instead of just waiting on referrals and like economics and, um, you know, we grow, we're growing, as fast as we can almost that way already, but wanting to be able to control those levers. And maybe that's deploying a, a, a direct mail campaign. Maybe that's uh, deploying, you know, an email uh, outbound or LinkedIn strategy or YouTube or something like that. Um, I want to be able to be in control of my leads and my sales in that way, um, even if I have an amazing inbound pipeline. Um, and so that, you know, that's something that I'm, me and my team are trying to learn we haven't had the need for it, but it's something that instead of just having to take the flux, we want to be in control of when our brand, you know, gets sales and when it's our time and when we're ready versus when, you know, it just is happening kind of randomly. Um, let's speak to that just a little bit, you know, from the other side of the coin, maybe not growing to where you're breaking that way or you're having to push the pause, but like being in control of your growth um, so that you can grow when you're ready. Yeah, so I think that plays really um, nicely into a thesis that we had, you know, it, when launching Posty, which is there are really kind of two types of marketing channels or platforms these days. There are the what, what I, I refer to as the walled gardens. Um, the walled gardens are where you have to go and pay someone a tax essentially to reach mm-hmm. an audience in their world, and that's Facebook and that's Google, right? Yeah, Facebook controls. Their marketplace they have all sorts of levers that they can pull um you know you sure they give you direct access to buy ads targeting um you know very sophisticatedly within their environment but you are you know you're paying facebook to reach you facebook users while they are on facebook and same thing is true with google and then there are other channels that um that are that 
are not walled gardens. No one owns, um, you know, the, 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 the audience. Um, you're not relying on someone else with the same degree. You know, uh, you know, for us, that was a big appeal of direct mail. You know, direct mail is, you know, everyone has the same access to the U.S. Postal Service. They they don't tell you, you know, we're going to charge you more than we're going to charge you to send the same, you know, piece mm-hmm. of mail. Um, rates are, you know, are they, they, they can increase with inflation, but they're generally consistent. They're not up and down based on how much volume of mail the U.S. Postal Service is sending, you know, today versus tomorrow. And therefore, there is a lot of predictability in that. And what that means is that you can be, you can, you know, you can rely on the efforts that you're putting into, you know, testing and optimizing the channel to hold, you know, next month and the month after that and the month after that. Whereas we've all had that experience of, you know, thinking we're, you know, so smart because we're optimizing, you know, Facebook ads. And then all of a sudden and they change the algorithm, they change the algorithm or, or even, even, you know, when we're being really targeted in, in the early days of our brand and, and our budgets are small, um, you know, we can be really efficient. And then all of a sudden we want to double our budget to grow. And now all of a sudden, A, we're, you know, we're paying more to reach you know, those audiences because there are more people bidding for you know, the broader set of impressions. But also, you know, it, we're going after audiences that are harder con- to convert. So now you're paying more that, you know, for these audiences that are converting at a lower level that probably have a, a lower, you know, um, you know, projected lifetime value. And, and then we're like surprised why, you know, our metrics change, you know, this quarter over last quarter, and then, then, you know, rinse and repeat the quarter after. With that being said, like, you know, you do have to, efficiency matters. And so if you can reach high volume, you know, highly targeted individuals on a specific platform, even if it's a walled garden, your chances are that's a, that fits a, a need in your marketing stack. But if that's all that you're doing, you know, I call it the, the kind of asymptotic, you know, approach to profitability, like you never get there. Because yep. every time you know you think you just need a little more scale to get to profitability, you find that scale, but the efficiency of the customers and the value of the customer you know increases and in, or the, the the efficiency decreases as does the, the the value of those customers, and and so you need to offset um, you know a substantial portion I think of your media mix and your strategies with things like earned media. Um, yeah, you might not have as much control over distribution of earned media, but it's, it's super efficient. And then other channels that are not walled, like, like direct mail and to, and to, to, you know, for us, it's a really impactful channel because a, it's bigger than Facebook and Google. Every individual is reachable through their mailbox. As long as they have an address, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to wait for that person to engage, you know, with their news feed or their Instagram feed or whatnot. Two, there's a lot of great quality data that you can use and mine from your existing first party, you know, customer data and the insights that you have on those individuals that engage with your brand. But also um, there are there are great third party resources to be able to do things like build predictive models and lookalikes um, and programmatic approaches to audience development. And then, you know, it's all, um, you know, the, the cost is, is consistent and, and generally, you know, fixed with the rare, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, annual or every other couple of year, you know, postage rate increase, which are usually fairly immaterial. And the last piece is there's direct measurement. You know who you're reaching through direct mail. If you're an e-commerce brand in particular, you know who you're shipping product to and you can triangulate, you know, that, um, you know, those, those data points to have a very clean read on you know, which ads and which audience segments are performing. So you have tremendous reach, you have 
um, you have great quality data, you know, and ability to be very targeted and you have, you know, measurement and you put those three things together and you realize you actually can break away from Facebook. Um, yeah, there's a reason that $50 billion a year is spent in the direct mail channel just here. In the yeah, US I mean, single point of failure is like a very common, you know, like that's been around since the beginning of time. Um, but it's so true, you know, dependent. I know so many brands dependent on Facebook ads and the algorithm changed or are dependent on just Amazon PPC to grow their brand instead of s- sending traffic from Pinterest or from blogs or from YouTube or from everywhere, you know, Um little bit here, a little bit there versus one spot. Okay, a bunch of aggregators come into the space, dump a money, bunch of money into PPC because operationally they don't know how to grow sales. And, you know, that seller is struggling to scale. Um, I think Amazon has become number three uh, as far as the, the third biggest advertiser. Um, so they've passed a few. Um, they're growing because they're starting to do off Amazon stuff with Amazon display advertising and they're, they bought Twitch. So Twitch ads and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff, but same kind of a walled city, uh, in that regard too. Um, absolute awesome stuff, Dave. Um, I wish I could keep picking your brain, but we we're up on the hour, so we have to wrap up, um, before we do. All of his tags, LinkedIn's websites to, um, you know, where to find him, where to contact, where to learn more about Posty, where to where to get in contact with Dave himself um, will all be in the show notes or, or on Spotify or Apple Music in the bottom. Um, so you'll be able to find them there. We'll make sure you can get in contact. Um, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure on the show. I know we're going to connect after this. Uh, we have some things to talk about, and I might even have to bring you back here for part two so we can wrap it up. But before we sign off, Shout out again to our sponsor for today's episode, Gusto. Manage your HR needs with Gusto is the way to go. Make it easier to onboard talent, handle payroll, and support your people in any way. Gusto's platform is powered by advanced technology, so talent management and payroll processing will never be the same again. Try Gusto for free. Sign up at gusto.com backslash startup hustle. Dave, thank you for your time. and Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.